0: and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. The full episode with John and Chuck will be out very soon as we wrap up the butter or parquet previews with the Western Conference. If you missed the Eastern Conference episode, Make sure you go and check that out. I do know that John and Chuck just recorded a Ground Chuck episode. Those Chuck and John episodes post exclusively at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. That's right. Exclusive bonus episodes over at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast for just $5 a month. We have a custom RSS feed there, so you can listen to those episodes or any bonus audio we post in the podcast player of your choice. Important for me, so I can listen to them at 2x speed and then go down to half speed when necessary. So if you want to get those bonus episodes, again, you can only get those at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. Today on Monday was NBA Media Day for most teams, as... All the players were forced to humiliate themselves by answering inane questions while wearing basketball jerseys. But the good part of Media Day means that this season is so very close. I didn't see any big headlines or interesting things from Media Day. I know we're all sitting around waiting for Jimmy Butler to be traded, which as of right now, as I'm talking into this microphone on Monday night, No news yet. Uh, I think the highlight of Media Day was just Kawhi Leonard laughing, which was amazing and kind of the best thing, but that was about it. But with Media Day happening, with the teams showing up, with all the questions being answered, uh, it lets us know the season is almost here. And with that, that'll be the fifth season of Fast Break Breakfast, which will be our over under shows in just a few weeks um, for the fifth season. We have a goal to try to get more people involved with us over at patreon.com slash breakfast. We can see on our podcast feed how many people are listening. And we would like just 5% of you guys listening to uh, commit to giving at least a dollar a month. a month for these nine episodes on average that come out. Uh, $1 a month gets you some exclusive bonus content. We prefer you all step up to $5 a month to get the fantasy basketball, to get the exclusive bonus episodes, to get the Slack chat with all of our buddies that we've made on there. Uh, But at the very least, we're hoping uh, as we push towards the beginning of season five, uh, 5% of you guys listening would pledge $1 a month, and I got to say, that would help us out big time. That would, uh, that would change the economics of doing this podcast uh, significantly. So if you've been listening for a while, if you listen to five episodes a month, I'm telling you, you owe us a dollar. That's, that's the official stance of Fast Break Breakfast. Also, another way to support Fast Break Breakfast is use our code at SeatGeek. Preseason basketball starts next week. If you're buying tickets, you can go to that SeatGeek app. You can use our code FASTBREAKBREAK, and they will give you $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek takes all the ticket sites, puts them together in one spot, so you don't have to worry if you're getting the best price. It shows you the views, it tells you whether or not it's even a good deal, and you can buy your tickets there. Download the SeatGeek app, and again, Our listeners use that code, FASTBREAKBREAK, and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. If you're paying for a preseason basketball ticket that costs more than $20, you're doing it wrong. So we're pretty much, we will give you a free ticket. All you got to do is use our code, FASTBREAKBREAK. Remember, SeatGeek.com, use our code, FASTBREAKBREAK. Same as the Twitter handle, FASTBREAKBREAK. My guest today is an NBA writer for Yahoo Sports and a first-time guest on Fast Break Breakfast, Dan Devine. Dan, good morning. How are you?
1: Uh, Good morning, Keith. I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. We're recording on Monday, which is media day for a lot of teams. It's also, people are anticipating, perhaps Jimmy Butler gets traded day, but people won't hear this until Tuesday. So I'm however good that is. Like, pretty good. (laughs) You know. Uh, for, for a take that will immediately expire, do you want to go on the record? Will Jimmy Butler get traded before anyone hears this episode?
1: I will say no. I okay. think it's more likely that it happens after media day than that it happens during media day. Um, now, now that I have done that, we have all but uh, you know locked down the certainty of it happening by the end of Monday.
0: This is perfection. This is great. I got to say, I am looking forward to the... Uh, like, the Twitter traffic that will come with such a Jimmy Butler trade, like, I've been missing it. I feel like it's kind of, the streets are quiet when, you, when, you, when I'm logging on.
1: Well, it'll wind up looking like The Matrix, just sort of like a, like a steady stream of code.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'll be, exactly, can't wait. Uh, so, I don't know you very well, Dan. Uh, I followed you on Twitter for a bit, but we've never spoken. So, first of all, I need to know, are you a breakfast
1: man? It's
0: not a trick question.
1: I, w- I would like to be a breakfast man, but the way, the way today has unfolded has, has prevented that from happening for me.
0: When, uh, on your normal routine, th- do you find time for breakfast?
1: It's usually right after I drop either my d- one daughter off at school or the other daughter off at daycare and then be able to like get back and get, you know, a cup of coffee and a yogurt and some fruit or whatever, you know, try to, try to have something good at the start of the day because I'll be a monster later. Um, but uh, today it's just been yeah there was uh, errands and running back and forth so it's just a lot of coffee right now and I'll roll that into lunch.
0: That's uh, I'm also just on the coffee. That's all it is. Uh, what is your what is your NBA fandom? What's what's your history of NBA fandom? Like how, how did you get into the NBA?
1: Sure, uh, I I am a. a new york knicks fan born and raised uh i was born in brooklyn new york grew up in staten island new york have been spent you know uh, a a chunk of my life in in boston and in in new england uh during and after college but um have spent more the the majority of my life in in and around new york city and uh yeah that was one of the (laughs) that was one of the the crosses to bear of my you of my youth and my, my parentage is growing up a knicks fan um as happens, I think for a lot of people in a job like this, uh, when you do it for a long enough period of time and you focus on the whole league as opposed to specifically on one thing, um, the the I guess passion or the the the, um, the the sort of virulence of your passion for the team that you grew up rooting for might sort of wane or abate a bit, and then you wind up thinking about things less as a, from the fan's perspective and more sort of globally. But um, yeah, I'm, I still I I don't know that that's ever going to go away. Being a Knicks fan.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I like to, I, I try to, I'm trying to picture how much of that virulence of, of fandom has been taken out by your professionalism, and how much by just being constantly pounded down with just <laughs> nicks. Like, uh, it's been a, uh, I remember the early 90s, I remember Patrick Ewing, that guy was good, but uh, since then, yeah, that, I, I, I it's been t- t- a little remember.
1: T- um, I would say yes. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm 36 years old, and half of my life has been since Jeff Van Gundy left, and uh-huh. that has been a tough half of my life um, uh, as a Knicks fan. But uh, as we you know we, we when we talk about these things, we the sort of hope it's, it's media day. Hope uh, springs eternal. Everybody's sure. undefeated. Um, so yeah, maybe uh, you know I don't know it, that this is the year for the Knicks with uh, the collection of youth uh, and no Porzingis, but. Um, Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess I can buy into the optimism for the moment that, you know, brighter things are ahead and, you know, more will be revealed.
0: Yeah. You guys seem to be fully drinking the David Fisdale Kool-Aid. I'm a, gri- I'm a, I'm a Grizzlies fan and I, I gotta tell you, I, I've been talking a lot on our show that I don't, I don't think you like what's at the end of that, uh, that cup of Kool-Aid. It's not a, I don't know, but this is the good times. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know. Right on your parade during media day, <laughs> but but speaking of the Knicks, you wrote an article on Yahoo uh, a few weeks ago that was right in my wheelhouse. It was your your bad team power rankings of like which teams are going to be fun to watch. I love terrible teams. I, I don't know why my my NBA fandom. I remember not ever watching the finals during most of the '90s and early 2000s. Like I was a crazy NBA fan, but when it got to like oh Spurs Knicks, I'm good. Like, like I wouldn't even watch. And so, uh, I, so I, I like the terrible teams. I like watching, uh, you know, I guess the last couple of years, I was really into the Pacers. I guess that they, they, uh, they got good again. But mm-hmm. so, uh, so you ranked all, all these, uh these teams that are, you don't anticipate to be good. You chose 13, which I thought was fair. Uh, You're assuming 10 West teams are gonna be pretty good. 70s teams are gonna be, you know, pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you, so you have thirteen bad teams, and uh, I, I kind of just want to run through some of these um, because, again, I love this. Y- you think the least entertaining team that's bad this year is the Hornets? I I agree completely. <laughs> do you do you want to uh, may, maybe uh, apologize to any Hornets fans, or, or is there something they should look forward to?
1: No, well, okay, well, before we get further into it, just say as the the sort of broad understanding. Okay, yes. Yeah. One dude's opinion, uh, not necessarily for you know, what, what is enjoyable to one person to watch might not be enjoyable for another person to watch. It is completely within the realm of possibility that someone else could look at that collection of talent on the Hornets and say, That's more interesting than what's on offer in Chicago or on offer in New York or in Memphis or whatever. You know, yeah. these this is uh, your mileage very much may vary on this sort Listen, of thing. Our,
0: our listeners are not coming for you; very friendly listeners. So go ahead. Which is,
1: I appreciate that, uh, and I, I, I do know, the, especially you know, the, of the Memphis fan base, uh, there's a, a lot of a lot of support and kindness and generosity toward me in there. So I appreciate that. Um, but I will say, so for me, the, when I look at the Hornets, I just sort of see. I, I fail to see a whole lot to grab onto from like an uh, an electricity perspective, something that you wear. Like if you're if you are not a committed Hornets fan, you're going to be like, I got to log, you know, like log in and really lock into a Hornets game on a random Tuesday night in the middle of December. You know, Kemba Walker can be that guy. You know, he, he's, he can be an incredibly fun player to watch um, and, you know, has has built himself into an extremely good NBA point guard. But. Yeah, it's kind of like the rest of the roster seems like the sort of malformed collection of like too many big guys. They traded they trade away to White Howard, but they bring back Bismack Biombo. They're maybe trying to figure out if Frank Kaminsky is a center two years later and they should have tried to figure that out. But they still have Tyler Zeller. They're sort of, uh, or Cody Zeller, rather. Excuse me. I've already made a Zeller mistake uh, this season. It's <laughs> off to a rough start for me. Um, you know, there's sort of all these players that seem like they maybe are in the you know should be up or down one position. Not a ton of wings, and it feels like the best bet for real excitement night tonight is like, is Malik Monk going to take a big step forward in a second year, or is is Miles Bridges going to be ready right away? And the answers to both of those might be yes, but it just sort of feels like a team that I don't have a great, uh, you know, I don't have great fingertips for as far as what's going to make them exciting on a night-to-night basis. So, uh, that, you know, that was my, you know, my, and they might, you know, they might turn out to be kind of good. They might turn out to be a team in that 7-8 mix in the East because the conference is sort of down. And there is, you know, a lot of talent there. If Nick Batum is healthy and has a good season, um, you know, if you you get a full season of Cody Zeller, and, you know, Michael Gilchrist can be, slotted into a good position to find the right sort of spot for him. There's, there's talent there. There's pedigree there. Uh, it just doesn't necessarily leap off the page as, you know, bold colors, excitement to me.
0: The, they, they have my favorite thing about the team is their players names. Which isn't great. Like I feel like they have a lot of really fun names. I mean, first of all, they have lamb and bacon, which admittedly we haven't incorporated into our breakfast theme show as well as we should. But like Malik Monk, Miles Bridges, I just, I have fun saying all their names. I don't like watching them play basketball. Uh, the I do have one question though. You have the Magic at ten. Why aren't the Magic in last place? I, I defend the Magic not being in last place because I I am like have no interest in watching the magic play. Also our only negative iTunes review is someone saying we make fun of the magic too much. So I I've been leaning into it.
1: So this is you clapping back at that. Um, I am, I'm more intrigued at least to sort of see what they do with that, you know, with that front court because there's, you know, obviously they've, they've sort of staked their claim on, Aaron Gordon, maxing him out, uh, or, you know, giving him the big extension, rather not maxed out, but the big extension this summer, um, you know, drafting Jonathan Isaac and drafting Mo Bamba right after that. So like they've, they, they have set up that they believe that those three in some format are kind of like the future, what they're building toward. Um, and I don't know how that works really, because they, you know, like the best version of Aaron Gordon to this point has been as a power forward. Um, the idea, it seems like for Isaac is that he's maybe a center who's also a small forward. We didn't get to see a whole lot of that last year, but skill set-wise, um, maybe that's sort of the idea. And then Bamba obviously is is your, you know, seven, ten wingspan aircraft carrier in the middle, who again, oddly, they sort of seem to think he can be a stretch five, too, which you know, there's a developmental curve in that. But so I I'm really interested to see how those guys fit when they share the floor. Um, and I think if there was even like uh, a, a reason to believe that there was credible guard play there for them. They, but you know, to set those guys up and create for them, it might be, they might've been higher on the list, but Oh, and say, by the way, setting aside the fact that like the best big man in that group might be Nick Vucevic. And yeah, like, yeah. and he's, and you know, the, you know the, maybe the best player of that group for them, but also is going to is very clearly going to wind up being the odd man out at some point. So how they resolve all that is really interesting to me. Uh, I'm just not so sure they're going to get sort of the service that those that they need to grow and develop as quickly as possible there. So um, I don't think I will wind up watching a boatload of Magic games night tonight. You know, obviously you check in with everybody over the course of the season. And you watch as much as you can uh, in a national gig, but like um, I, I'm, if nothing else, I think that question interests me more than sort of anything uh that, that there's like on the list for the for the team like the hornets
0: yeah watching that front court get sorted out i agree is an interesting like idea but the actual watching the sorting of that out i'm not so sure <laughs> i think I, I like i feel like dribbling is really important to nba basketball and to basketball being watchable not sure this team can dribble so you know we'll see, we'll see I think maybe, like, the Magic's job should be to find out if Tom Thibodeau has seen enough of Nick Busevich and if that looks appealing to him. Uh, So you have... I'm going to blow through a couple. Behind the Magic, you had the Hawks and the Kings. Hawks and Kings, I am incredibly interested to to watch them both play, but I kind of look at them as, like maybe like a really attractive looking milkshake that actually ends up tasting kind of funny. I feel like I'm going to watch the Hawks and Kings be like, man, I want to see how this all fits together. And then by like November, I'm like, I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't need to check on those. Uh, ahead of the Magic at number nine, you have the Chicago Bulls. I think the Bulls would be really high on my list. I guess I'm just interested, like Jabari Parker, Zach Levine, how does that work? Like marketing, Wendell Carter Jr. might be incredible, but those are all centers. And then you have these, like, does Bobby Portis play again? Does uh, Lopez? Maybe some of those magic issues with, uh, like, who's going to actually play in the front court. But I also feel like, I don't know, I feel like the Bulls also, there's going to be some of this, like, weird Minnesota energy of, like, Timberwolves fans looking at them, and maybe there's, like, the Bulls feel like they won the Jimmy Butler trade, and there's going to be some of that. But uh, I'm kind of fired up for the Bulls. So you having them like at the uh, near the bottom of the list, you're less as excited about
1: that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think there there will come a point where it's just sort of like I, I'm I'm questioning how that all hangs together over the course of the full season. You know, you, yeah, you mentioned that idea of like you check something out early and then you know maybe it's for you, maybe it's not for you, and then you move away like. The general idea of this team might score, you know, might be able to score one hundred ten points a game, but give up one hundred and thirty five. Like that's interesting to a point, and then I, I don't know that I find that especially interesting beyond that. Right. Um, we have like there is there is a possibility that these, this collection of young players do, is actually the sort of. Starting point that Fred Hoiberg has been looking for since he got there, and the idea that they're going to to mesh into the offense, the you know sort of motion flowing system that he wants to run, has not necessarily been able to do that so much over the course of time. Maybe, maybe that's true. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a a uh, the moving parts there are interesting to me, but I I feel like by the you know by a couple months into the season, I'll sort of be like that'll be a little bit more like eating your vegetables, um, watching (laughs) and. (laughs) Um, and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And and it's also possible, you know, a healthy Zach Levine makes a big step forward on both ends of the floor. It's possible that Chris Dunn, uh, you know, he, I don't think he's going to take a huge leap at 25, but it's possible that, uh, you know, a little bit more comfort and confidence in, in him being the guy who's going to run the show, like uh, invested in there uh, could, you know, could lead to some positive things for him as an offensive creator Um I don't know really what to think about Jabari Parker largely sort of slotting in as a small forward in that team. It feels weird to me. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. The Sort of the, the mouths to feed and resolving how that works is interesting. What that translates into on the court, I feel like may wind up being less so.
0: Very well said. All right. So ahead of them is the Pistons. We'll blow right past the Pistons. If you don't change your roster at all, I, I can't get fired up for you in the off season. Uh, the Knicks. All right. So you have the Knicks now ahead of these last six teams that we said, Explain to me. This feels like from me in Nashville, Tennessee. This feels like a big media market bias. What in the <laughs> world is interesting about the New York Knicks? I I want to see if Kevin Knox can put up twenty points per game. That's it.
1: Okay, so that's a that's a start for me. I think Knox is somebody that I did not have uh, great fingertips for um, coming out of college. I, I admittedly don't watch a ton of. NCAA ball not you know by as a sort of like a value judgment but just like it's hard enough keeping up on the league every night let no, alone no, no, no
0: value value judgment college is terrible continue
1: <laughs> well that's, that's 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 for you not for me but um so like I didn't know a whole lot about him and then what we saw in summer league looked a lot different from what I was sort of given to understand he was so the idea of like the Knicks having somebody that North South wants to attack whenever he gets the ball kind of is interesting to me in a context where like Porzingis, you know, he'll, you know, face up and take off the dribble, but he's still, you know, more of a pick, a pick and pop dig. Frank Nielakina last year, uh, you know, sort of as a, a starting guard w- really didn't attack very much and stayed on the, you know, would, would not be somebody that was looking to to get to the front of the rim. Um, I think that there's, there's, it's just, there's something weird about this collection of Knicks. they like, there's a lot of second draft guys, you know, think, you know players that people liked when they were coming out of school or coming out of wherever in the draft, you know, guys like Mario Hazonia, um, you know, Noah Vonley is still somehow like younger than 90% of the league, even though he hasn't really done anything yet. Um, you know, Trey Burke, you know, looked like uh, a significantly better version of the, of the player that, that we all knew when he was there in, in New York last year and they brought him back. Um, you know, there are these guys that sort of are getting another shot to try to carve out an NBA roster, or carve out an NBA career. Um, and then, you know, Knox Mitchell Robinson, I have no idea what the heck he's going to be at the big league level if he, I you know if he's able to get minutes, but I think he'll have the opportunity to do that. So there's like, there are just a lot of sort of open questions on the roster and a lot of them are young and a lot of them have at least some demonstrated NBA talent, um, or the potential for that. So finding out what some of those guys are and if any of them will wind up being, you know, a, uh, a part of whatever the core winds up being when Porzingis gets back, maybe end of the season, maybe midway through, maybe not till next season. Uh, I'm interested to find out if like, you know, you mentioned the, 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 sort of, a lot of this maybe rests on whether you have any faith in uh, David Fisdale or the front office of Steve Mills and Scott Perry. There are very reasonable, uh, you know, there, it, it, it is not unreasonable to have your, your concerns or your questions about that. Um, but I think that. The idea that there might actually be a longer term looking plan for the Knicks and that some of these guys may wind up being part of it is interesting for me to sort of figure out. We've heard for now almost two decades, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, like the you can't rebuild in New York. The Knicks can't actually rebuild. You've got to be trying to make the big, splashy move, chase the shiny object. And this seems like the starting point of something different than that. So I'm interested to see how that manifests on the court.
0: I remain unconvinced. This is, this is big media market bias. If, if Mario Hazonia, Noah Vonley, Trey Burke, Mitchell Robinson were on the Grizzlies, not one word would be typed on any national outlet. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I will say, you know, is, is Trey Burke fantasy relevant in 2018-19? Eh, all right maybe, maybe maybe that could that could be something i'll watch uh no i'm messing with you so 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 next up uh you had the grizzlies i talk about the grizzlies all the time we'll skip them uh the cavaliers uh are interesting in the are they going to make the eight seed is kevin love gonna get all the shots up you know like will these guys perhaps thrive outside of the you know the gravity of lebron james running everything is that is that pretty much the uh, the sum up of the excitement over cavaliers
1: yeah, I think part of it, you know, uh, and you know, everybody sort of wrote about this and discussed it when the extension got signed. But, you know, the idea of uh, is Kevin Love a can he be a number one option anymore? Is is the version of him that uh, that we saw in Minnesota before he joined up with the Cavs? Is that guy still there? Is he, you know, af- after a handful of years and some injuries and some age and some whatever, like, is he still that can, capable of being that sort of offensive initiator and sent focal point. Maybe is is, you know, is he going to turn into a different version of that having, you know, added some, you know, different sort of seasoning and skills to the bag. You know, I, I'm interested to find out what that is, um, whether that kind of primary talent alongside Colin Sexton brings him along faster than Sexton being sort of re, uh, relegated to an off ball role away from LeBron James. I'm interested in that. Um, and then just, you know, this is again, my own personal thought process is like, Half the guys or more than half the guys they brought in last year after the, you know, the big sort of shakeup at the trade deadline to be LeBron's kind of uh, support structure, none of them seemed to get comfortable at all. They seemed like they really had a hard time finding uh, what the right role for them was, what, their, what, you know, what they were supposed to do and could they consistently do it in the context that they were presented in. And so now I'm wondering what those guys are. What, what, you know, what is George Hill in Cleveland after that? What is Rodney Hood in Cleveland after that? Well, you know, what are these guys, you know, Jordan Clarkson, I think we know Jordan Clarkson's going to be a shooter no matter where he goes, but like, you know, what, what do the rest of those guys look like outside of the context that they were brought in to, to sort of serve, which didn't necessarily seem to serve all of them very well. Uh, Could they be something different, something more outside of that? So um, from a sort of a basketball experiment standpoint, it's like, well, what the, the, the goal for last year failed. It didn't work out to be what they wanted it to be. So then what are those guys that are sort of leftover turn into? I think that'll figuring out how those guys look in a very different sort of structure uh, seems is at least a, a reason to check in for me.
0: I agree. Yeah, just the it is an interesting basketball experiment. And I I likewise find the Cavaliers very interesting this coming season. All right. So you have four teams left in your bad team fun rankings. Uh, The the Clippers were four. Clippers might be very different as of after today's over. Who knows? As the Stated preferred destination of Jimmy Butler. And then you have the Nets at three, the Mavericks at two, and the Suns, uh, the most entertaining. I want to go through some of these because I agree with three of them strongly, disagree with one very strongly. So the Clippers, I'm with you. They got the Toby and Bobby show. It's so exciting. And then uh, I'm excited about Shea Gilders-Alexander. The Nets. All right, this has become like a, a sticking point for me. And I, I don't, I don't want to say too much because I've been really been harping on this. I don't find the Nets entertaining at all, but it seems like everyone writes over and over, like, they play an entertaining brand of basketball. Like, I I don't get it. Uh, And I know everyone praises Sean Marks, which I think is kind of funny, too. The drum I've been beating is, we don't know if he's good. He's made a bunch of moves that are like, okay, that makes sense for them, but they're going to be real bad. And uh, yes, they shoot lots of three-pointers. They don't make lots of three-pointers. Uh, <laughs> I, find the, I find the Nets almost like repulsive, despite the fact that they seem to be like, custom-made to try to appeal to me. Like, I'm, I'm an aging 30s hipster. I like their black uniforms. I like that it's Brooklyn. This is cool. And then I watch the games, and I'm like, why aren't they winning? Why don't they try to win? This is driving me nuts. So uh, defend, defend the Nets. And I know you were in Brooklyn, but i know obviously you're objective not saying otherwise but uh <laughs> why why is everyone why does every nba writer and nba twitter people they're just like hey the nets they play fun basketball i'm like i don't
1: really well i think so for a couple things i think well for one from a from the the sort of big picture perspective a lot of people have a lot of respect for the job that has the job that the nets sort of brass has done in digging out of the hole that their predecessors created, right? So there's this idea that, um, you know, the trade for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce in 2013, I think it was, basically like strip mined all the assets and salted the earth for a handful, for a half decade. And so now without draft picks, without the benefit of, of, you know, the opportunity to get high value young talent and, you know, sort of walking in the wilderness for a few years, Sean Marks and his front office have sort of, restocked a roster that's at least got some interesting young players you know you you know a lot of people have different very different perspectives on what you know what the value of d'angelo russell is um what he is at this point in his career he's i think basically you know, my read is net negative player in a pretty significant way but who shows these flashes where when you see him just drill like six three-pointers in a, in a quarter which he did a you know or in a half Against um, the Raptors this past uh, spring, uh, you're like, okay, well that guy, you know, he can get his own and he can create off the dribble. He can put a defense on its heels significantly, and, and in a, in a way that like can kind of tilt a game. So what if that guy finds the right speed and is able to do it more consistently? Still very young, and you sort of say, I don't know if he's a number one, you know, if he's like a, a number one guy on a good team, but there's talent there, and it's intriguing. And you look at sort of the collection of guys; it seems like they may have hit with Jared Allen, their center. There's, there's a lot to like about him as a uh, sort of screen and roll dive guy, maybe shot blocker, maybe he's extending his range this year. Um, Rondé Hollis Jefferson is the kind of guy that, you know, team, you you know, nobody pays attention to because he doesn't put up big scoring numbers, but like small ball power forward, who was weird and can drive and do a bunch of different things, defends pretty well. If he's on your team, you like watching him. Like there are, there's a lot of those sort of guys like, No one's going to go over the moon for Alan Crabb, especially on the contract that he has, but he's the shooter that you're talking about where it's like they don't have a whole lot of, they don't make a whole lot of three pointers. He is the kind of guy that can do that. Joe Harris, same thing. These guys that are not like uh, household names, that are not particularly sexy players, but that, you know, can do NBA jobs. um, I'm interested to see as, you know, they continue to sort of develop and congeal under Kenny Atkinson. And now that they actually have assets to move forward they're going to own their own first round picks moving forward they've added picks and trades they've used their their, uh, their cap space sort of smartly to absorb bad deals and then move off of them and you know extract assets in the process they, they sort of chess match or like um, you know uh, maybe even sort of like you know the spreadsheet doctoring that they've done to kind of build, dig, dig out of their big hole uh, or climb out of their big hole rather is I think people respect that you're absolutely right to note that it hasn't actually done anything yet. There's, there, it has not resulted in more wins than losses. Anything even threatening a playoff appearance. Um, it has not resulted in like you know a big, uh, you know a big talent saying ah, that's where I want to be. Even getting in the conversation of Jimmy Butler is sort of a win considered a, a, an optics wise win for that front office. Um, we'll see whether it turns into anything meaningfully in terms of building, you know, this coming summer or the year after that, where they're going to be poised to have more cap space. But I think for for now, like anytime you can look at a roster that's just got like a collection of guys who are pretty interesting and I find a lot of their guys pretty interesting uh, and they do play fast. They do shoot a bunch. They're going to give up a bunch of points, but they're going to score it too. They play. It's, it's sort of like the pre and being back Sixers where it's okay. like Brett Brown sort of built a team that was or built a style that was like we're going to play fast. We're going to play this sort of defense. that's aggressive. We're going to play this sort of offense that tries to spread you out and beat you that way. We just don't have the players for it. And then once they started to get the players for it, all of a sudden the Sixers became very good. I think that's the idea in, in Brooklyn. Like we're going to build a style and a culture and a tone. And as we are able to plug in better talent into it, which they've done little by little, it gets to be more interesting. So that, that's my, my view on it. But again, right. all this is your mileage. may bear. <laughs> Right.
0: No, that's fair. It, it's, I really liked watching the really terrible Sixers, so maybe I just have some bias <laughs> against against this this uh, the way they're building. I like I, I think it goes back to like a couple years ago when they didn't have their draft picks. They were in this hole. They're like, guys, we don't earn our draft picks. So my thought was, oh wow, this team won't tank. Because it doesn't help them, this will be like a European soccer club who's like, we're not a good team, but we're just going to get some, bring some guys in and try to win some games for the short term. And if we sign some guys that help us win, then we can trade them away. I was like, this will be great. This is like a European soccer model of a team that doesn't tank. And they went out there, and they're like, eh, no, we're, we're not going to really try to win. We're going to – like one way to use cap space is, you know, to take those bad contracts, and then you get like – they got these late first-round picks. They got some second-round picks. But I also thought like another way is to sign guys to reasonable-ish deals – you know, and then try to trade them off later. I don't know. It, it was a whole, maybe a philosophical difference. And my thing, like, Sean Marks should absolutely be applauded for not digging the hole deeper. But, like, mm-hmm. the passage of time has saved the Nets, in in my estimation. Again, Sean Marks, like, good. He does, you know, he brought in, like, the Karis Leverts. They developed Joe Harris. That's that's a definite a definite win. And Jared Allen, you know, maybe he's good. So, like, maybe it's going to be good. And, like...
1: You get Spencer Dinwiddie for nothing, and then you, right. you know yeah. he, he becomes a valuable player for you.
0: Oh, I love to see him. And I, again, I'm also trade Spencer Dinwiddie for parts. Like, mm. like, like you guys, you know, you hit a home run with Spencer Dinwiddie, um, who also was last in the NBA in field goal percentage last year. He has this huge buzz right now. Trade him, but again, uh, best of luck t- t- to the Nets. Um, I try not to be too uh, too negative against him. I just feel like the. Avalanche of praise. I feel like has just gotten too much. I feel like it's, it's, I we, we got to cut it a little bit.
1: It, it is fair to say that they have they have sort of the the level of praise, especially nationally, for what they've done so far, has exceeded what they have actually done so far. Yeah. I think that is a very fair thing to say.
0: No standing ovations for teams that don't win 30 games. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's, that's my new pulpit. Um, all right, the, the, last, the last two teams to wrap up, and we got a little bit over. Uh, the Mavs and the Suns, I am super excited for both these teams as well. What's your uh, what, What's your quick summary for why you, you rank them as the most fun-to-watch, probably bad teams?
1: Well, I think giving a, a coach as smart and good as Rick Carlisle a player as interesting as Luka Doncic is a really, it's a fun sort of, it's we we use the word experiments a couple of times. It's a fun experiment. Like he's going to basically be a point guard who plays small ball power forward for them alongside Dennis Smith with a big, you know, giant screen and roll big man in Deandre Jordan and a couple of shooters and, uh, you know, capable wing playmakers in West Matthews and uh, Harrison Barnes. So like, there's the 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 sketch of a pretty interesting team that can do. It might be a completely different team when Dirk Nowitzki's in the game. You know, he's still, you know, obviously he's like a, you know, he makes the jokes himself that he's a big mummy and he, you know, he limps around all over the place. But like, he's still this crazy gravitational shooter. So when there's the 20 minutes or however much a game he's on the floor with Doncic, with Smith, with both of them, with how you know however it works, it they they could stylistically be several different teams um and just like i'm i'm a big believer that the 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 work that Doncic did overseas is it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to translate his production instantly right away at that same level from Europe to the NBA nobody does that um you know there's always sort of a uh you have to regress that production a little bit because otherwise he'd come over and like there's only like a handful of guys ever who have produced like he did over there at that age so i think it's a uh, you know you, you you sort of pump your brakes on that but Smith was a, you know, maybe some sort of good stats on a bad team kind of guy, but productive as a, as a, an attacker, as a rookie. I, I wonder what that's going to look like if he's able to attack against a defense that's already sort of bent the other way after Donchich is able to you know, work out of the post or run a screen and roll or whatever on the other side of the floor, swing, swing, they could sort of wind up being an interesting offensive team. Um, I really, am, I, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with DeAndre Jordan in terms of how quickly or not quickly he's going to fall off a cliff, but the sort of ed, advanced defensive numbers for him were a little bit troubling last year. He's going to be on the other side of 30, Um, is he the kind of guy who's going to lift up that defense or are they going to continue to be terrible there? And it's going to be a lot of shootouts. I don't know. We're going to see, but I I think the collection of talent is is more interesting than it's been in years past there. And Doncic is a big reason for that. Um, And in Phoenix, like this, uh, you know, I wrote this sort of collection or the story before uh, uh, Devin Booker's uh, hand injury before uh, he underwent surgery that was said he was going to miss the start of the season. But that, that math of, how, you know, we've decided to sort of rebuild with a ton of youth and try to be good right now because we have money to spend and we can spend it on, uh, you know, on Trevor Ariza. We can spend, we can use our cap space on Ryan Anderson. Uh, we can sort of do all these things to try to surround our, all, you know, the young guys with veteran talent, guys that are going to shoot and space the floor. Um, I don't know, I have no idea how it's going to work. I have no idea if it may if it is a reasonable plan. I don't think that, you know, you can credibly consider them like a playoff contender in a West that's as good as this West is. But I think there, there's the the talent level on that team is different than it's been in the past. And there's, there are some reasons to believe that there's, you know, at least the, the foundation for NBA success in there, in that locker room for the first time in forever. So, uh, and especially if the answer is, you know, they still don't have an answer at point guard and they're, they're looking for, they're going to try to figure out what that answer is, especially now that uh, Booker is not going to be available. They're going to have to find one, um, you know, for the here and now. And they you know, they've been rumored to be continually active in the trade market and considering various different point guards who might slot in next to Booker and the same way that Patrick Beverly did next to James Harden and in Houston, including perhaps Patrick Beverly, um, how, what their vision of the sort of pr- a premier version of booker is because they've they've staked everything on him with their big five-year max so we're going to find out sort of what they think he should be and can be what kind of players they think fit best next to him uh what kind of players they think best open the door for deandre ayton to be you know the most important draft pick in franchise history um and then whether that means we are going to be try to be this good right now um as as good as we can right now, or it's just about laying the foundation. It sort of seems like they're trying to do everything at once. And that seems like either a recipe for spectacular failure or a really compelling success. So trying to figure out what that is and how it could all play out, uh, is one of the things, I mean, among teams that I don't think are likely to be especially good. I think that is a fascinating story to watch unfold.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree completely on pretty much everything you said, like the, the Mavs, all the lineups, like the potential for the fun they could do, uh, you know, that's going to be great. And then the sun's like, I needle the Suns a-, a lot and I'm not a huge Devin Booker fan but I I kind of love everything they did I'm a- I'm excited about it like they brought in the guys like DeAnthony Melton and uh, Akobo like to play maybe they can play point guard those guys both again clear deep NBA nerd th- alert they lit up summer league you know that probably means nothing (laughs) but like that was very exciting and uh and again like you know they surrounded with shooting mikhail bridges like should they have traded a first round pick for him who knows but i like that they went for it Uh, i am looking forward to watch this team and like you i have no concept if they're going to be good or not i haven't made my over under predictions and they're a team where i'm scratching my head like i don't no idea what what they're going to win well anyway hey dan thanks for uh coming on thanks for spending time with me uh where can people check your stuff out what you got coming up this week
1: uh, well, Twitter is the best place to find all of it. The links all go up there. So uh, at your man divine on Twitter and over for the rest of the week, we'll you know, be uh, tracking sort of the start of training camps, uh, you know, moves, moves that, may, that may or should happen as we move forward with that. And then obviously everybody's going to be watching what goes on in Minnesota. So I imagine as things progress over there, I will be weighing in on that.
0: That sounds great, Dan. Thanks for your time again. Look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks a lot, Keith. All right. Thanks to Dan for coming on. Really fun to talk to him for the first time. Seems like an agreeable guy, despite that big media bias. You know, it's all right. Pays the bills. I realize there aren't any small market fans out there. If we had to do it over, we always say, Fast Break Breakfast, we just should have been a Lakers podcast. That was definitely uh, a mistake on our part. All right. If you want to support the show, again, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast we're doing our fantasy basketball signups right now if you want to play fantasy basketball with us in either a head-to-head categories league or in the famous international stackhouse of pancakes negative fantasy league for pride and glory all you have to do right now is sign up for four dollars a month at patreon.com and as I've already told you that tier is going away shortly So if you want to get grandfathered in at $4 a month, you need to do that probably this week and sign up because that's just going to be a $5 tier in the future. If you sign up at $4, that's all you have to pay. You'll be grandfathered in. But again, you might as well pay $5 because then you get the Ground Chuck bonus episodes. Remember, bonus episodes, John and Chuck, Talking Basketball, only available on our Patreon feed, patreon.com slash FastBreak. Breakfast. Remember, if you're buying tickets for preseason basketball games or for baseball or football, comedy events, whatever it is, SeatGeek.com, download the SeatGeek app, use our code FASTBREAKBREAK, and you will get $20 off your first purchase. All right, you can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being GNG. Fab, break, break, man. You understand?